1: Hello, welcome back to another episode of Believe in Bears. My name is Joey Christopoulos. My co-host, Corey Wooten. Great episode coming up in 30 seconds. But first, we got to talk about BetOnline.ag because they remain your number one source for all your college basketball this season. But more importantly, MLB Futures, NBA playoffs, and NHL playoffs coming right up. They got the latest odds, team matchups, and game trends only at BetOnline with live games, conference championships, final four and championship games. Behind the mirror, take a look forward at all the wonderful playoff action coming up in the NHL and NBA. So what are you waiting for? go on the website today use your mobile device and you'll receive a 50 percent welcome bonus only when you use promo code believe b-l-e-a-v to receive that bonus That online where the game starts ladies and gentlemen thank you so much for coming into the pod uh got some NFL news got some NFL notes some draft it's a couple weeks away believe in bears cannot wait so let's bring back our co-host Fox 32's very own CHGO's very too CHGO's very own and also West End Golf Club co-owner future <laughs> proprietor Northwestern's <laughs> Corey Wooten what's up Corey
0: Man, I love the intro, man. You just you're just making me feel great about myself on this Tuesday right here. Um man, it's glad to be back. It's been a couple weeks now, but uh yeah, bears have have got a little active in free agency. It's kind of settled a little bit, but uh there've been some good acquisitions and I'm uh, excited to talk about that a little bit with you.
1: Well, Corey, keep giving me badass titles and I'll keep uh I'll keep giving <laughs> you You're a man you're a man of many talents, my friends. So just keep giving me those titles. I'm gonna keep stacking them up. Give you a nice little, you got a nice stack of a resume going on right now. And yeah, look, look, you're busy and we're a couple weeks away to the NFL draft. There's so much to talk about. We are going to fit in a little bit of golf towards the end of this podcast. I hope you guys hey. don't mind, <laughs> but Hey, it's still Chicago bears, NFL draft season. The draft coming up April 27th, Chicago bears are selecting ninth right now. So Corey, you know, I, we were, we're going to focus a little bit today on that. We're just going to kind of soak in your knowledge on some of these prospects that you like um, and that you think the Bears could target, or guys that you just think that are going to be great players in the NFL that the Bears should absolutely think about. Um, Let's start it off with this, though. I'm going to throw a little wrinkle at you. Todd McShay came out with a new mock draft this morning. We're taping on a Tuesday morning um, here in Southern California. And he had Will Levis not in the top 10. So he had Will Levis actually dropping out and a situation where the Tampa Bay Buccaneers actually had to come up and trade with the New England Patriots at 15 to select Will Levis at 14. So let's just start here with an easy one for you. At nine, are you comfortable sitting at nine? Are you a guy that also says, "Hey, keep the phone lines open, Chicago Bears"? If you want to move down a little bit, that is a place that you would be interested in because you got Tennessee at 11, you got Tampa Bay at 19, you got Washington at 15. Um, you know where are you landing on that? Especially with the talent pool in the nine to 15 area. You know, I think for
0: me, I would stay put unless there was an offer that you couldn't refuse at that point. But I'm looking at what we need right now, right? Obviously, we got DJ Moore, the number one receiver. Uh that wide receiver room is pretty good. You got Nate Davis in there, you got Tevin Jenkins. You feel good about Braxton Jones. Um, now the next remaining piece is that last offensive tackle. So I think in that nine position, whether it's Skaronsky, whether it's Paris Johnson, Broderick Jones, uh, I think you have to look at all three of those options because you have to know what you have from Justin Fields, right? That's that's the whole thing everyone's saying. You got to put a great offensive line around him, which they've upgraded some positions, but now you need another tackle. Now we've got the number one receiver. We have to see what he's able to do with a full rebeefed offensive line and the number one receiver. You got some weapons in the backfield as well. So at this point, there's no excuses for anything. You have to see what you have from Justin Fields because next year we got those two first round picks and Caleb Williams is coming out. I'm not saying Justin Fields... Is not going to be the guy, but this year you have to see everything you can get from Justin Fields this year. And that's why I think at that position, you draft an offensive
1: tackle. Yeah, and you still have some June cuts coming, so other wide receivers might be able to come on the board that might be able to help you. You can draft a wide receiver a little bit later in the draft. And, and Corey, look, as, as tempting as Jackson Smith and Jigba would be at number nine, I think I'm on board with you that I would probably pass on that right now because of what you just said the two first round picks that we will have our own first round pick and Carolina's first round pick where you could literally burn it on a guy who you think is one of the top playmakers wide receivers on the board. Maybe it's Marvin Harrison, Jr. We don't, we don't know that. Right. But at the same time, I think it'd probably be wise to stick in the trenches at number nine. You mentioned Skoransky, Paris Johnson, Broderick Jones. We had one of your mm-hmm. teammates on here. Will DeWitt, I'm believing bears a couple of weeks ago, talking a little bit about him about those three players. Uh, you know which one is your preference right now? I think maybe Broderick Jones is maybe the less experienced, but his athleticism is off the charts. Paris Johnson's angles and consistency worry me, and then Skaronski's arms—my God, have we ever talked so much about a guy's arms right now? Where do you land on those three guys at this time?
0: I mean, to me, Skaronski is my favorite. You know, I'm I'm not biased because I went to Northwestern. I think he's the most polished prospect out there, right? I think if his arms were were three inches longer, uh, he might be the the first overall pick. Honestly, yeah. yeah, honestly. Um, so my thing is like this: you can either play or you don't. Uh, you look at Aiden Hutchinson two years ago when Skaronski went against him, right? Completely locked him down, right? So, in, in my opinion, Aiden Hutchinson had a great rookie year. He's arguably one of the best rookie defensive linemen in there. Really balled out. And Skaransky shut him down, you know, at the height of his career in college when he was dominating people. Um, so for me, you either could play or you don't. Arm length and all this, and, and we can get into that all day. Look at Aaron Donald that we were talking about before this. A lot of people doubted him. Oh, his arm length, he's only this tall. He's He's been arguably one of the best defensive tackles to ever play the game, right? So numbers mean so much to a certain extent, right? It can either help you or hurt you when it comes to this. But when you turn on the film, Skaransky, to me, is, is the most complete NFL ready offensive tackle day one. And I, and I think you're going to get a guy that's going to grind that knows what he's doing. His technique is always going to be there. Uh, his strength, his footwork, all that is, is there. And it's reliable. Paris Johnson probably has the most upside as all of them, right? He has the length, he has the size, the quickness, but he's very inconsistent at sometimes. Broderick Jones is very talented as well. Um, so to me, Skoransky, I, I think is the, is the sure prospect, but a lot of people say his arm length, is arm length. But I, I just, I don't like to get into all that. It's either you can play or you you can't. And he's played against some top prospects with some long arms defensive ends, and he and he's 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 been fine. He's held up really good.
1: It sounds like he's got the highest floor, and and you said you know the safest pick possible out there. I mean, that sounds pretty good yeah. for the Chicago yeah. Bears, who need some certainty, right? Um, just quick follow up on that is. From an outsider's perspective, help me understand this a little bit more when we talk about an offensive lineman's arm length. Does that have to do more with the coaches in their minds feeling safe with the margin for error? Like when you talk about a guy whose techniques sound like mm. Skoransky and maybe who does, who has a very strong yeah. punch, you know, at the point of attack. Doesn't that mean like longer length, it gives you more margin for error? And, and, you know, and for your perspective, you know, you are a guy who was long. You're a long defensive yeah, end. Yeah. You know, how would you go about trying to attack Skaronsky and what would that matchup kind of look like?
0: Yeah, so I think I think when they look at it, right, most defensive ends nowadays are anywhere from 6'4 to 6'7, right, with with really long arms, you know, 35 to 37-inch arms, right? And all of a sudden, usually as defensive lineman, you use one arm, right? One arm is always longer than two. Right. Mm-hmm. So all of a sudden you got this guy with with shorter arms, Karansky. they think that is a disadvantage because that one arm is way longer and he's not able to grab the same way that a Paris Johnson could, which which I completely understand. But there's ways to offset that. Right. There's there's guys I played against that were so technically sound. You look at um a Jason Peters. Right. He was able, you know, once you got your hands in there, he'd chop your hands down and then reset. There's so many different tricks of the trade, you know, for guys that struggle with longer guys and whatnot. And I've seen Skoronsky do that on tape. So that's the advantage of, of, you know, or disadvantage, rather, of of having shorter arms is that defensive end can get into your chest easier, especially with that one arm. Because a lot of guys now are using that one arm stab. And that's what everyone loves is the length, length, length. That's all they talk about, you know, the great length, great length. Elvis Dumerville, right, it was 5'11 with six, seven arms. You know, so that that was the big thing. He was able to get inside, have the leverage there. Um, but my thing, I, I, it goes back to this, Joe. You can either play or you can't. And now that I'm looking at the Bears, they were trying to get McGlinchey at, at right tackle. So it tells me that they feel good about Braxton Jones at left tackle. So then I think Skoronsky might not be an option there. So so I'm looking at Broderick Jones and Paris Johnson as probably the prospects that they're eyeing uh, because I, I feel like they do feel good about Braxton Jones. The fact that they were trying to get him a Glinche. Um, So it makes me think that they're going to go after somebody and try to play them on the right side. Um, so that's, that's what I see potentially doing, but I don't know. People are talking about Skuronsky potentially playing guard. You know, they're talking about maybe moving Tevin Jenkins. And I'm like, hold on, pump the brakes right now, pump the brakes, right? Because Tevin Jenkins, I, I think when he was healthy, played at a pro bowl level of guard. Right. You got him and Nate Davis in there. You got Braxton Jones. If you feel good about him, he gets his strength up this offseason. I feel really good about that. Cause I told you the only thing he really struggled against was the bull rush. Right. Speed, he he did really well. So if he can really focus on that strength, hey, they, they feel good about him at left tackle. Then all of a sudden you got Broderick Jones or Paris Johnson um at the right tackle position. And then all of a sudden your offensive line is solidified. And then you have the offensive line, you have the number one receiver. I think everybody feels a lot better about this offense this upcoming
1: year. Just a follow-up footnote on Tevin Jenkins. I'm not getting a great feeling about how I feel the organization views him in their long-term plans at this time. Are you – you know, we don't want to make proclamations because the guy honestly played well last year, but we all know he has Mm -hmm. back-neck issues. He had off-the-field attitude issues coming into training camp. You know, with the Mm -hmm. signing of Nate Davis, with whatever they decide to do in the draft, I know you see it on Twitter, too. You're like, oh, we'll just kick Tevin Jenkins out to right tackle. We had Tom Thayer on this show and said he is not a tackle. He is best positioned as a guard. I mean, Corey, you know, you reading the tea leaves, right? I think it's definitely a show-me season still for Tevin Jenkins with the Chicago Bears. Am I wrong?
0: No, no, I think you're you're exactly right. Um, They want to see him stay healthy. 17 straight games uh, unless they're sitting the starters and there's a playoff situation towards the end of the season but i think they want to see him grind out through a season stay healthy and then if he could do that i think they're they're going to pay him but right now they're thinking he's very talented but he's been very injury prone these past two years we have to see what we can get from him um so i think that's yeah like you said it's a show me year for him i think he has all the talent in there um, you know, the, the the problem is a lot of times when the bigger guys, the offensive, the defense alignment, especially offensive line, when they have those back issues, there's a lot of anchor and you're in a, your back is compromised in a lot of positions. So if I were him, I'd work on the yoga, the Pilates really get that core strong, right? Because everybody in this league has some kind of back issue, but it's about really strengthening that core. That's what takes you to the different level and takes the pressure off the back. So hopefully he'll get with that this off season, really focus on the flexibility, the core strength. And I really think he can be a pro bowl guard and, you know, coupled with Nate Davis, I think they both can be, um, he's a road grader as well. He's got great feet. Um, so yeah, it's about getting this offensive line set. And I think Tevin Jenkins, if he can stay healthy, they could re-sign him to another deal, and then have this younger offensive line guys that that are that are staying for the next three to four years, especially with Justin Fields, if he continues to improve like I think he will.
1: Man, you're you're following up right. What I was about to drop down is, uh, yeah, Tevin Jenkins. Someone needs to get in his ear and just say, "This is your this is your earning window right now, man. Exactly. This is the time." Where you can end up with some guaranteed dollars to set yourself up and maybe your family up for the yeah. next couple of generations, my man. So, so try and figure it out. Let's move over to the defensive side of the ball with the NFL draft. Um, you know, Corey, throw out a, a player or two that, you know, really intrigues you, not just for the Chicago Bears at number nine, but maybe, you know, in that, because again, the Chicago Bears have four picks in the top 64. I believe it's 53, 61, 64, plus the number yeah. nine pick. Um, just kind of curious your thoughts heading into the draft as some guys that intrigue you.
0: Yeah, I mean, you, you know I've been big on Kalaja Kansi. He just continues to climb up the boards. And and I I told you, I think he's the best defensive tackle in, in the draft. And even over Jalen Carter, to be honest with you, because his motor, uh, the way he plays, his leverage, um, his pass rush is unbelievable. He's, he's NFL ready. And that's what you want in this Tampa 2 scheme, uh, attacking style. He would thrive in this. Like, honestly, I think he would be... Up for potentially defensive rookie of the year. Like he is that explosive. I seen him in person at the combine, and he's a lot bigger than you would think based on his measurables. You know, you see 6'1, 280 something, but he's a solid guy. He has that quick twitch. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised if someone pulls the trigger top 10. You know, he's he is that great of a prospect. I know people are very high on Jalen Carter, but for me, I'm out on him unless unless you could get him in the second round. For me, I i just i just don't see it I, I there's there was too many red flags to begin with a couple with this he's out of shape at his pro day um so for me i would have to pass on that but you know Kalaja could be an option right uh at this bears got some picks in the second round as well maybe they could swing stuff and, and and trade back into the first round who knows they got two two first round picks next year so you know you never know what may happen and then obviously um a guy, Isaiah Foskey from Notre Dame. He's really intriguing mm-hmm. to me. He reminds me a lot of Justin Tuck. A little bit quicker than him, um, but I really like him. You know, he's he could play the run. He can pass rush. Uh, really love what I've seen from him. And I think he could be an option potentially in the second round because we were talking about this before we started this podcast. I think the first round, second round, third round, and potentially fourth are probably all going to be offensive defensive linemen. You know, I think... You look at the defensive linemen, you know, we 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 need basically four positions at, at this point. Um, So there's a lot of needs to fill. And, uh, you know, I'm hoping they can do that in the, in the second, third and fourth round, get some defensive ends.
1: In terms of NFL draft headlines, Corey, you know, if Kalijah Cancy was walking on the moon, you'd be Neil Armstrong, my man. <laughs> uh, you're, you're the first person we've been talking about him for a long time. And now, you know, we were talking pre pod that, you know, he honestly could go anywhere from top 10 to possibly the end of the first round. Every single year, yeah. Corey just feels like that. There's one of those guys that kind of has those variables, that variable draft range. And honestly, that could be a good yeah. or bad thing. But I think for Kalijah Cansey, I I think that's a good thing, right? I think whoever he lands yeah. with, he's going to make the football team better. And if he slides and goes to a contender, Well, watch out. (laughs) Well, I think
0: the great thing about it is that there is proof in the pudding. Aaron Donald went to the same school. Their measurables are almost identical. I think Kalijah Cans he's actually taller than him. So I think he's got that going for him. So I think people are like, I do not want to miss out on the next Aaron Donald. This guy could potentially be him. So I think it's actually going to help him, the fact that Aaron Donald came before him. You know, sometimes when you're the first doing something like that, then all of a sudden it, it makes it a little bit easier. So I think you know, people are, are I, I, I wouldn't, like I told you, I wouldn't be surprised if he's top 10, you know? Cause I think you look at the tape, it matches there. Like he is, he is arguably you know, the best defense tackle in there. Obviously Jalen Carter has all the hype and all that. But if, if, if I, if, at number nine, if I had the choice between Jalen Carter and Kalaja Kansi, right. I had to pick the defensive tackle. I
1: pick Kalaja Kansi. Mm, wow. Um and uh, yeah, Jalen Carter, I guess, met with the Chicago Bears yesterday. He's meeting only with top 10 teams, uh, which is a bit of a roll of the dice, in my opinion, because the top 10 teams. It's possibly going to be four quarterbacks going in there. So I don't know why he's limiting himself in that particular way. Uh, but he met with the Chicago Bears yesterday. Um, so this is probably the week whether they decide whether Jalen Carter is going to be on their board or not. Speaking of draft boards, Corey, I do want to ask you that, you know, this is kind of a fun you know, this is a fun topic that people like to bring up, and it's sort of one of those phrases that kind of shuts down other versions of conversation when people go, Well, you know what, Ryan Poles is just gonna draft the best guy on his board. Whoever he has rated highest, Corey, is who he's gonna take. And I, I just kind of want to ask you a little bit about that. Do you buy into that philosophy? And and the tangent on this is a little bit is you know, what you know, there are gonna be some great cornerbacks. On the board, too, as well at number nine, but for a team that only had 20 sacks last year yeah. for a former defensive lineman, you know, can you really fully buy into we're going to take the best player on our board no matter what, even if it's, you know, Bijan Robinson, you know what I mean? Like do uh, you, you yeah. buy into that because people throw that word out there a lot. And I think it's kind of BS
0: yeah i I do i think sometimes there's organizations that do that but in my opinion there's a lot of needs on the defensive line like that you have to address and so at that point unless you're you're completely overreaching for somebody at that point then i understand maybe doing the best available but there's some talented guys uh you know on on the defensive line offensive line that you're going to need in that position so i think corner uh, defensive back is 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 lowest on the totem pole in, in my opinion we basically got four defensive line positions that we have to address. And yeah, you know, the so I mean, obviously we're not gonna be able to address all those, but in my opinion, I think you gotta get one really dominant edge rusher. Yeah, you, you have to, right? That could play the right side, and then you have to get your three technique, whether it's a Kalijah Cancy, uh, another guy that could be available in the second to third round, Carl Brooks from Bowling Green. He really has that twitch. Not as much as Kalijah Cancy, but I think he could be a day one starter in there, you know, if 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 we haven't got a guy like Kalijah Kansi in that first round. I think he's a guy that can come in and be that day one starter and really thrive in that Tampa 2 scheme. And there's another guy, uh, defensive end, uh, Felix Nduke and Zoma, who's from uh, he's from Kansas State. Uh, really talented guy, motor, hands. Um, I think he's a guy that can could be a day one starter. So I'm looking at that second and third round. we got two second-round picks. You know, if we get a Fosky. And uh, that guy from Kansas State, and then looking at Carl Brooks, if we pass on Kalaja Kansas, then all of a sudden you got three really good options. And then later rounds, you just get some some pass rushers, situational pass rushers that you can get in that develop. But, you know, um, I, I think that would be uh, the kind of sweet spot to to get two day one starters or three in those first, uh, second, second and third uh, round picks.
1: Yeah, and I hope Bears fans prepare themselves because if in their first four picks, if they go offensive line and defensive line, it is going to kind of make for quote-unquote a boring draft entertainment mm-hmm. value-wise for the Bears fan. But man, like more darts at the board, right? Like if you convert on 60% of all those guys that you take on, you're all of a sudden kind of building something that is young and moving forward with some actual promise. And on top of it, like I, I'm just trying to think about it, not if I was Ryan Poles, but in this situation is if you look at our roster right now, Corey, I'm kind of asking myself, if this roster rolled out tomorrow and started playing football games, what part of this team would probably piss me off the most? And it's still a <laughs> defensive line, dude. Still, that we yeah. would still be talking about the defensive line on these pods after these games if we played tomorrow, right? The exactly. au- defensive line needs major, major work. I don't yeah. think we're going to get it all this year, right? But we do need to try and make yeah. a move in that area.
0: Yeah, and I think, you know, people are like, oh, we got Demarcus Walker. And and for me, I like what he did last year, right? Uh, you know, mostly a reserve role. Um, but you know, it reminds me of Travis Gibson a lot, right? He had a reserve role that he played really well in. And this year we we counted on him to to get an expanded role, and all of a sudden he couldn't fit that starting role. So for me, that's what it looks like a lot. I think Demarcus Walker is a great option, a guy that can rotate, um, that could be a left end for you to start. But I think, in my opinion, he'd be better suited coming off the bench, and you know, being being a three technique in, in pass rush situations, because that's where he really thrives in. But to me, I think you got to go and get another option that could potentially be a starter. I think he could be a very good rotational guy. Um, but for me, I'm 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 not sold on, on that right now. So um, there's a lot a lot of needs to fill. So hopefully hopefully they could do that. There's a lot of talented guys. Uh, defensive end wise in the second and third and fourth round that that could be starters uh so I think there's some value there
1: yeah I got I feel like uh I got burned a little bit by Al-Qadim Muhammad last year you know you kind of yeah. bring a guy over that had a decent situation or excuse me decent production and you're trying to bring him into a situation where he has a little bit more of a chance to up his production it just didn't quite work out so you know I'm I'm kind of like I'm yeah. kind of being a little hesitant with Demarcus Walker. He could be a great role player, right? Hopefully on third downs, he comes out with some great, picks up some great sacks for us, but we need more guys around there to make his job probably easier. And you're right. There are some guys on the street right now that aren't going to sign until after the draft. You've got the Ngankus of the world, the Frank Clarks of the world. Just super quick. His measurables totally check out. Would you do a one-year deal with Leonard Floyd?
0: Yeah, I, I definitely would. For sure does, does yeah
1: does he he fits kind of what we do right? he does he, he, he right, in. The He'd other be a side. right in. yeah right
0: for sure i like that i like that all day um yeah i think they're gonna have to be creative with, with some of these options you know looking at a leonard floyd looking at a frank clark um if the price is right because you you need them basically to get you through this year right and then obviously if they outperform their contract then you could look at extending or if it makes sense if you have guys under you feel better but this year, we we have to get some guys that have been in the trenches that have experience out there because you can't rely all the time on rookies. You know, if you draft three or four rookies in that second and fourth round, two of them may play, two of them may not, you know. Yeah. So, it's, so it's all about having some veteran guys. And Frank Clark, I, I wouldn't mind, you know, uh, offering a one-year deal, incentive-laden. Because for me, people are always like, oh, yeah, Frank Clark is this, that, and the other. Yeah, in the postseason, he's been lights out, but during the regular season he got lost at times. You know, for me, I'm not I'm not giving him a huge deal because I don't think his performance matches that. But he'd be a guy that I would give incentives, right? I'd give him a base salary of, of three million and and give him incentives to get you up to twelve or or however you want to do it. If you want to give him a base salary of five million, but get his incentives up. Uh, to make 12 million if he has 10 10 sacks or something like that then he needs to perform to get that i wouldn't be opposed to something like that
1: yeah maybe have a conversation with them too of like you know we'd be willing to move you to a contender if you show up for us for five or six weeks and you know we kind of see how it goes with us and kind of move on and maybe some guys move up yeah in terms of those rookies man too like you know that they might show up for a couple games and then they might not show up for a couple games that's what rookies do there's ups and downs and there's bumps in the road um Corey, any other Bears stuff you want to hit before we talk a little Masters?
0: Yeah, for for me, I'm looking at this year, right? Obviously, um, there's a lot of needs that probably aren't going to be filled defensive line-wise. We kind of know that. For me, I think, uh, you know, Polls and company, I think they're thinking of like this, like like I said earlier in the pod. We have to get everything situated for Justin Fields this year. We have to, right at this point, because we have to know next year if we have to make a decision to go a different way. Right, I I think Justin Fields is the future, but I think Polls and Company are thinking this. We need to get him that offensive line. We got him DJ Moore, you know. We got a Claypool. We got Mooney. You know, went out got Tanya. You know, we we got we got these guys now that you know we got some running backs. We have to see everything from Justin Fields this year, right? Him as a passer, everything like that, right? And at this point, there's no excuses about anything. He didn't have an offensive line. He didn't have a number one receiver. We have all that. So I think that's what the philosophy is. We have to get this offense situated. We have to get it ready. And then we'll kind of stack on the defense. And they might not get all the weapons defensively until after next year in free agency in the draft. And I am okay with that. But for me, if I'm polls, like I said, second to fourth round, I'm looking at the defensive line. And then in the later rounds, I'm looking at talented pass rushers at that point just to kind of fill this. Because anything is an upgrade over last year right? Defensively. How many games were we in where the defensive backs played well, just couldn't get a pass rush. So at this point, got to get two positions on defense. And I'm just, I'm just hoping that the offensive line is solid across the whole board. And for me, I think that's a win. And I think that's what's going to define Paul's legacy is getting that last remaining piece of the puzzle for Justin Fields on the offensive line.
1: I'm with you hundred percent. I mean, just the way that I look at it right now is I think that this is a great year for the most boring draft of all time and no I'll offense, but that. it's just, <laughs> dude, offensive lineman, defensive lineman. I would like them to try and target one running back in there. Mm-hmm. Um, Someone with some upside, someone that could take some carries and uh, someone that can maybe, you know, give you, you know, give you some fresh legs back there for sure. Yep. But I am with you, man, because honestly, uh, they have done a lot of things in the off season and leading all the way back to chase Claypool, as you mentioned, to try and set Justin Fields up for success. And I think going boring with some dudes in the trenches, I think will definitely help help out a whole lot because I'm with you offensively. My, my fear right now is I just keep going back to the Dallas game and it is hard to judge. I mean, Justin played great, but it is hard to judge Justin Fields and his progress when you're down 21, nothing. I'm I'm sorry, you know, and I, I get it, he brought us back to I think it was what twenty-nine to twenty-two at some point. But then immediately, you know, Dallas scores again and playing behind the eight ball like that too as well. Can uh can skew a few things, in my opinion, in terms of the progression or the maturation of a quarterback. So um I just definitely think that they need to to build up on as they build up the meat, man. <laughs> get as many meat guys on both sides of the ball. Exactly. And then uh, and then and then roll it. And then obviously after June, remember Bears fans, they're gonna be more cuts. On NFL teams, there's going to be plenty of veterans out there. There's going to be a lot of guys that you can bring in, a lot of professionals to try and mature up a room that might seem very young after an NFL draft like that. Um, Corey, you want to talk some masters? Are you ready? Yeah, yeah. Let's. So, I, so first of all, let's start here. Um, Sheffler to repeat. I mean, why, why is repeating in the Masters even a question? Um, it's really, 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 really hard to do. So I yeah. want to hear uh, your thoughts on Scheffler and mm-hmm. um and why is it not John Rahm?
0: Yeah. So <laughs> so yeah, it's really hard to to repeat a Masters. I mean, I I think has it ever happened? I think I, think I don't maybe- think so. Okay, okay. It might yeah. have
1: it might have years I mean, excuse me, yeah, in our generation, not, I don't believe it no. has happened in our generation.
0: Yeah, with like Tiger Woods or anybody like that. Um, yeah, it's really hard to repeat. Um, Scheffler's been playing arguably one of the most consistent golf. Um, you know, he's unconventional swing, uh works for him and he just knows exactly where his ball is and I like that he plays his game. He doesn't try to play anybody else's game, you know, which People got caught up. Remember with Bryson DeChambeau and Rory was trying to change his swing when he's only five yards from him. And it was swing your swing, right? And that's what Scotty Scheffler does. He's so even keel. Um, love the way he plays, never gets too up, never gets too down. Um, that's the problem with John Rahm, though, right? If he, if he, if he has a couple bad holes, I think he gets in his head a little bit. But I think John Rahm has arguably been one of the most consistent players. Him and Scotty Scheffler, Max Homa up there, but I'm going to go on a bold prediction and I'm going to say John Rahm, right. has arguably been one of the best players to start the season. I think he won what three out of four events or something like that in a row. He's got, he's got um, five
1: wins this year. And yeah, he yeah. opened up the season super hot and he was like, yeah, he, this is John Rahm's year. He's going to dominate.
0: Yeah. It, it, exactly. Very consistent. But I think for him to take the next step, it would be to get that masters on his belt, right? Scotty Scheffler's got that right. Um, if he could get the masters on his belt, I think that would mean the world to him and, and for what his legacy is. And I think that's what he's trying to do is take the next step. He's been very consistent. And now he's like, I got I got to show out and in, in, in for the Masters, right? Because there's some guys that do very consistent all year. They do this, that, and the other. And they get to the Masters time. And then eh, that's that's been the knock on Rory, right? It's every other title except the Masters. And usually that was
1: my next one. It's like the seventh annual core Rory McIlroy can win the masters uh, argument heading into the tournament. And he never does. Why are we still doing this, Corey? I mean, is he, is he playing the type of golf right now that can win the masters? I don't think
0: so. I don't think so. Right. For me last year, when it came down uh, at the open, the the Scottish open um, when he was out there and he had the lead and he just couldn't finish for me, I think that's telling you everything. When you have that lead, you, you got to be able to finish in those situations. And, you know, Rory's, Rory's only getting older, right? John Rahm and Scotty Scheffler, they're still younger guys. So yep. the, the time is now if Rory McElroy wants to make it happen. Hey, he still has all the strength. He still has all this. But in golf, you got to capitalize on these opportunities. So, hey, I mean, Rory, I think a lot of people doubt that he's, he's that guy. I think... Everyone has passed him, right? You, Max, Homa, uh, John, Rahm, Scotty Scheffler. I don't even think Rory's in the same conversation anymore, right? Morikawa's up there, you know. So I was I think- gonna say
1: Morikawa. I it's so funny to say this, right? Because it sounds like I'm I'm like contradicting myself, but I like Morikawa is a great like if you're gonna make a bet, he's a great top oh, yeah. eight bet. Like I, exactly. I don't know if I'd bet him to win. But I, I I think he 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 knows the Masters really well. I think he's going to score really well. I'd put him like I'd bet him for top eight. But I don't know if he can win. Does that make sense? Yeah,
0: yeah. Uh, so, uh, was four, it Sung J M? I wouldn't be surprised if he goes pretty low. He's he's usually performed pretty well in the big events. Um, love his swing. It looks it looks like a hesitation at stop. Like like your uh, like your screen is glitching real quick, but. Yeah, I, I'm excited for this. This this is arguably the best time of the year. Um, the most tuned in golf event. Um, yeah, I I would love to see John Rom win. Um, big fan of his. Uh, you know his story about how when he was a late when he was a kid he had a he had a, a club foot. That's why he that's why his swing is short, right? Because he can't rotate what? into that back. Yeah, you you never heard that his his no. right his right ankle right, which is which is his plant leg in a swing. He can't, he can't fully go all the way back on it because he had a club foot that was broken as a kid that they broke it back to, to be normal. So that way he doesn't have full flexibility in the ankle. So shorter swing helped him out and he still hits it, you know, arguably one of the, one of the farthest on tours. Um, you know, Tony the same thing with that short swing, but uh, yeah, it's a pretty, pretty cool story to see that, you know, even, even despite that, he's still able to play at a high level. And uh, yeah. Yeah. For him it's it's been controlling his emotions you know breaking clubs getting real um it's tough because money is on the line i I don't care what anybody says you you know and i know people that are amateur golfers that get mad when they play bad so imagine when there's money at stake we're paying to play we're we're talking about millions of dollars and 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 the Masters trophy for people not to get mad or frustrated i mean right just like in any sport people get frustrated so you know it's kind of toeing that line and you already know when, when people feel a certain way about somebody, then they go down that route. It's it just, it just, just continues well, to I,
1: look at, uh, I mean, like, look at, uh, that's what makes golf such a humbling sport. Even at the professional level is look at Jordan Spieth, man. Mm-hmm. Jordan Smith, Jordan Spieth was Denny green crowned the next guy in all the commercials. And look, he's, I, I he went through, a, I think he's not quite in the Valley of his career that he's been in the past couple of years, but like still, he's a guy who knows the master's course really well. And we're not even really talking about him and he should be a guy year in and year out. We should be right up there at the top of the name with all the lists, but man, golf is, it's a, she's a fickle mistress.
0: (laughs) I know. I know. What about if Jordan Spieth came in there, snatched it up because the past two years he's been playing very consistent, right? He's, he's won two or three events uh, when he had a drought for, what was it? Almost five years, not winning anything. So
1: God, yeah, yeah, probably. I was going to guess yeah, three so, five, shit.
0: Yeah, so it would be good to see him. Or how about Justin Thomas, right? Uh, a guy that, you know, um, what, he won the PGA Championship or uh, well, last year, right?
1: Yeah, and look at Dustin Johnson's year last year and
0: yeah. look at
1: where he is this year, right? I mean, it just kind of comes and goes a little bit, and he's not quite in the I position. I don't know if the Masters is the course for him necessarily, but honestly, he's so talented he can kind of do whatever he wants in any tournament. And he was doing that last year. And this year, it's just a little bit of a different story, right? Let me ask you a quick question. So in terms of the Masters, right, I think a lot of people make a big deal out of Saturday. I think the biggest day is Friday. If you were to play in the Masters, Corey, which one, you know, obviously every round's important. Don't get me wrong. But which Mm -hmm. round for you personally in your game, would you kind of sort of focus in on and be like, man, this is my pivot point. You know, Mm -hmm. is it it Thursday round one or what is it?
0: Yeah, I think for me, I think starting out Thursday, right? For me, if if I have a good first round, like Mm -hmm. even on like golf trips with my friends, right? If I have a good first round, it kind of just gives you that confidence going forward where you feel like you could just get in a rhythm. You don't have to think about anything. Now, on the first day, if you kind of struggle a little bit, then you get inside your head a little bit. You kind of are thinking about what am I doing in my back I got to make up ground, I, I got to, yeah. Exactly. Oh, I got to have my short game. I got to scramble. Um, So I think if if you can get off to a, to a hot start day one and just be really efficient, minimizing your mistakes, course management, you know, really taking control of that, I think that's very important. But obviously, right? To put you in the contention, you gotta play consistent Friday, you gotta play very consistent Saturday, and then if you're in the lead, you have to hold the lead. so I think that's I think it's better chasing somebody than being out in front, right because there's a lot more pressure when you're when you're out in front um so it's gonna be interesting because a lot of these matches um did you watch the full swing uh documentary at all? No, I haven't okay. So, so one of the guys, uh, was it, Mito Pereira, right? He was winning. That's the one that Justin Fields, had, I mean, uh, Justin Thomas had won the U.S. Open or the PGA Championship. I can't remember which one it was. But he was up, uh, Mito Pereira, uh, going into the last hole. He was up by two strokes. And literally all he had to do was just hit something in the fairway, make a bogey at the worst, and walk away. And what does he do? He he slices his driver. He ends up in OB. Then his next shot, hits hits in the bunker, then chips up, then chips back. So all of a sudden, right, you're down to the last hole, up by two strokes, and you can't finish. That's how hard it is being in the lead. So I think people fail to realize. And my thing is like this. Professional guys, they hit the driver very well, but his caddy should have stood in front of him and said, no, you are hitting an iron. (laughs) You are hitting a hybrid. You are hitting a three wood. You are not hitting this driver in this situation because you're messing up my money too. At this point, just
1: standing in front of the shot, like in traffic, like do yeah. not. No. You're gonna have to hit this no. through me.
0: Yeah, and I guarantee you, when when he made bogey at the worst, he would have thanked his caddy, and he would he would he would have went to the bank with three point something million, you know. And <laughs> instead, and instead of winning three point whatever million, he ended up with seven hundred and seventy thousand, which is great money. But when you have the lead going into the last hole, and and you have to you have to just get a bogey, yeah, you gotta finish in that situation.
1: See, yeah, like for me, it's all about uh, mitigating and analyzing not risk but aggression, right? And so that's I really like your point that if you get off to a good start, obviously you have the confidence where you can actually maybe take those aggressive moves and continue to try and score a little bit. Yeah. You know, for me is like Thursday, it would be just about you know. Just kind of, just kind of play your game. Don't really worry about it, and then see where you land. And if you land in a particular, let's say, like you're maybe two or three under after Thursday, which is a, a solid round. That Friday for me would be the pivot point of right. All right, I got the course under me. I got it under my belt. And then I can actually calibrate my aggression level um in different kinds of situations. Because, yeah, you know, you, you do have to be careful. And, and and Corey, you know, I do want to talk about Tiger. And I think one of the things that I want to do when I talk about Tiger is that we mentioned before the pod that, you know, the weather, they're calling for warmer temperatures than they were last year, Mm -hmm. um, which is good news, not only for Tiger Woods, but good news for all the golfers, because, you know, the Masters is a place that you could put a number up on. Right. I mean, we've seen I mean, the Tiger years aside, but I mean. You know what do you think it's going to take to win the Masters this year? You know it's gonna it's gonna be more than minus ten, right? In my opinion, yeah, yeah. I, it's got to so be right.
0: With the weather being good, yeah, I think yeah, so I think what? probably like a minus twelve 13. to minus fifteen.
1: Yeah, yeah thirteen point five. I was going to ask over under thirteen point yeah. five minus to to win the Masters.
0: Yeah, I th- I think it'll be over that. I th- I think guys are going to go low because what what you see this year in general, like guys have been shooting low. Like scores have been had really low. So I think I think guys are competing. Guys are just getting so skilled with their short game. And and that's what makes the difference. You you know the difference between anybody that's a, a low handicap amateur and a high handicap. It's all their short game, right? Sometimes you see guys that that score hundred, but they strike the ball extremely well. It's cause they can't in the short game. So yeah. I, I I imagine them 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 going uh over over that uh thirteen and a half.
1: What do you what do you expect from Tiger? I'll just kind of leave it at that.
0: Yeah. I, I think we'll see a, a solid first two days, and then as his leg gets tired, he kind of he kind of disintegrates a little bit, and that's the tough part about it. I think if he could, if he could take a cart, it would make a world of difference. But he would never Casey do that. Martin. He's,
1: Casey Martin. Yeah,
0: yeah. He, uh-huh. would, he would. He would. He would. He would never do that. You know. I. I think his pride is is always there. I think the thing for him. I think if he gave himself another year to really get his legs strong, really work on your endurance, walking the courses, um, because most guys. You know, they don't even think about that. They don't have to train to, to walk the course. They're like, hey, I, I could do this like the back of my hand. But mm-hmm. Tiger now, it's it's a whole thing, that whole leg. He almost lost his leg. So you see him limping out there, and it's a whole thing. So, hey, it would be great to see him win another title. You know, I don't think it's going to be the Masters. I think he will win one. I think they will be one of them whether or not he's he's got to have the anti-inflammatories and he just has to gut it out uh i think we'll see one more win on the pga tour level before he goes to the senior tour or or gives it up but i think if he get that leg stronger um because he he still has all the talent he's he's hitting over 180 ball speed off of one leg it's unbelievable with the driver um short game is still there. It's just a matter of, of that endurance in that leg. So hopefully we can see it, man, because he just keeps pre- proving people wrong, especially when he won the masters. Uh, what was that three years ago or four years ago? Yeah.
1: I mean, it wasn't, yeah, it wasn't that long ago. And yeah. And look, I'm right there with you where I, I you know, obviously I think he's definitely going to make the cut. Um, he knows the course too well, but again, mm-hmm. I think that is a big issue too So is I think on that Friday, that back nine Friday, I I'm really curious to see how he plays. And then Saturday, right? I exactly. mean, can he even, can he even, can he, cause that seems to be one that kind of falls apart. We've seen a couple of decent rounds from Tiger Woods before. And then, you know, by the time he gets to that third round, it really starts kind of barking on him. You hope that the warmer weather gives him an opportunity and his team of, I can't imagine Corey, an army that gets him ready to play, right? Like 15 yeah. different people, maybe one for exactly. each hamstring, one for each calf, man. a hitman. man, Like what does he got?
0: Yep, I know it's it's unbelievable. Do you think there will ever be a golfer that commands the type of attention that Tiger Woods has? Do you think there'll ever be a golfer?
1: No, because well, I mean, look, it's incredibly difficult, right? Because if you want to go through all the great, great like quadrants or the great checklists that you need to have for greatness as an athlete, he's checked almost all of them, Corey. Like the first one is he was a young phenom with tons of expectations who delivered, right? That's the LeBron mm-hmm. James checklist. The other one is, you know, I just remember what was it? The, the, the one Masters, the first Masters that he won, what was he, like, minus 19 or something? Something stupid, yeah. like he blew everyone away. One, I think, by at least like 10-plus strokes. That was another one. That's yeah. just dominance in one event. And then dominance across many events over and over and over again. Uh, checklist on that one. Um, and then the fear factor of that Sunday, that red shirt on Sunday and coming in. And I, you know, there's specific moments of, um, I'm, I'm blanking on, um, I'm blanking on a couple of them, but there's a couple of times, right. Where he went toe to toe with some people and we try to make a big deal out of it, but they ended up kind of wilting and he ended up kind of rising in that moment, just kind of that dominance. And he did it for so long. And then what he won with a broken leg. And then, yeah, he comes back two or three years ago and, and then wins um i mean dude what else right i mean there's a guy that might be able to win as many tournaments or a guy that maybe one day will be like gets 10 plus majors and we get into that conversation but man all the all the stuff that he's done is just it's just gonna be so hard to collect it's incredible yeah
0: i i don't think anyone will ever match him you know when you talk about the the greatest golfers people say you know sam Sneed or jack nicholas or arnold palmer it's Tiger Woods, hands down. I mean, look at the injuries he's overcome and the amount of wins and just the dominance. Like, I mean, it wasn't even close for years, like how many events he was winning back to back the US Open, the PGA Championship, the Masters, multiple times. So I don't think we'll ever see a golfer like that. The only one I thought commanded somewhat close to, but not was Bryson DeChambeau. That's why I'm kind of a little disappointed that he went to the Live Tour because I feel like he was commanding that type of attention. Maybe not quite, but I think people were generally excited. When he came into town, everyone was following him. Oh, let's see what Bryson can do. Oh, he's hitting this drive 380. You know, I think people were just blown away with how far he could hit the ball. Or his four iron, he's hitting 260. You know, people were just enamored. And, and like I told you, it changed the way Rory McIlroy changed his changed swing. Right. He was five yards within Bryson and my man changed his whole swing and was all out of whack because of that. So I think that type of effect, it was similar to what Tiger Woods were doing. People were trying to replicate what he was doing and they couldn't do it. So I think that's that's the one I'm disappointed that kind of left. I mean, hey, when when you when you're able to get that bag, you got to go chase it. But I would have liked to see Bryson DeChambeau stay on the tour because you like him, love him, hate him. His work ethic was very similar to the Tiger Woods's, right? That that would that would grind from from the morning to nighttime. He'd be after rounds on the range. So his work ethic was very similar to a guy like Tiger, and he he always he always went into it like scientifically. Oh, I'm going to work at the angles of this, and and if this leg is that, I'm going to put on the you know he take it to the next level. So that's the one I'm kind of bummed that went to the Live Tour because I feel like he was the next guy that people wanted to see, you know, it was Phil Mickelson after tiger for years. And, and now Bryson was that guy, but you know, unfortunately we won't be able to see him uh, go come back on the PGA tour if he, if he does want to for a while.
1: Well, yeah. And they wanted to make a deal out of Kepka too, as well, but Kepka's injuries, you know what I mean? He never even got to the part where I think we could even really have that conversation. And I understand that, you know, Rory probably is that guy now that everyone really kind of secretly hopes, uh, you know, ascends, right. Because Mm -hmm. he's, he's a name brand. Um, and they want to see him have that success. And when you talk about Bryson, man, it just highlights again, what makes Tiger probably, you know, one of the greatest athletes, definitely the greatest golfer, is the mental side, man. Exactly. You know, like you just mentioned all that practice, all that preparation. But when you get out there, it's not between the lines, but you know what I mean? It's like between the fairway. When you get actually get out there, there's that mental aspect that Tiger brought to the game that was just unmatched, man. Exactly. And, and truly, he... he he could play mind games uh, with his opponents without even really doing too much. And man, it's, it's um, he's been through so much. It's just incredible that he's even still playing golf because every time it's like, what, what's next? I mean, he's already been through a couple of these, you know what I mean? And uh, so, I mean, I just want to, it'd be great if we could see him tee off on Sunday. I think that would be awesome. Um, Whatever we get from him would be, would be great. Uh, Corey, let's get out of here, man. Oh wait, yeah. wait, wait, wait! Before we go, who who's winning? Who do you have winning? Who's winning the Masters?
0: John Rombo. John, John Rom. I, <laughs> I got I got him winning. He's got to take that next step, right? He wants to be a, the world number one. He wants to surpass Scotty Scheffler. This this is the big stage here. The weather's not going to be an issue. Um, John Rom really hasn't played that well in the Masters. So for him to take the next step, try to get that green jacket, John Rom. Let's go.
1: I'm also saying John Romp and I'm saying also over the minus 13 and a half too as well. I think it's gonna be probably fifteen, maybe even a sixteen. Hopefully we get some cool scores okay. going and uh, get a nice pack. I want a nice big Let's pack go. in there going for it, a nice group of eight or something like that, going for the title. Uh we gotta get out of here. Believe in bears, presented by betonline.ag. 50% welcome bonus when you use promo code Believe B-L-E-A-V. My name is Joey Christopoulos. You can follow me at Joey Sports Guy, my co-host Corey Wooten. You can follow all of his amazing action at chgo sports and Corey, something else is coming up really soon just in time maybe right after the masters you're watching it this weekend you're like man i can't wait to get back out there well there is a way especially in rutherford new jersey talk to the good people a little bit about west end golf club what's got coming what they got coming up and how they can follow along as it's about to launch
0: yep so i got west end golf club coming up with uh two of my friends from new jersey uh, so we're about three to four weeks out. We got four simulators over there. Unicore simula- simulators, probably my favorite. I know people heard about Trackman, Foresight. Unicore, in my opinion, is the best one. And I'm a simulator snob. Um, people are going to love this. Uh, we're going to have a, a clubhouse feel. We're going to have members or, uh, you know come as you go is, is going to be amazing. Bring your own. Uh, we're going to be located in Rutherford, New Jersey. So we're looking forward to this. We're hoping to be ready for this weekend so we can have the big opening on Masters, have everybody be excited, you know, hitting into the simulators, watching the game outside. Um, but, yeah, we're, we're excited about it. So, you know, you know I've been passionate about golf uh, for, for a long time. So I've been looking forward to doing this. So we're, we're excited about it. And you can follow us at West End
1: Golf Club. Um, on Instagram uh, or Facebook uh, for more updates. Uh, The pictures look amazing, man. I can't wait for it to open up. And hey, everyone, Rutherford, New Jersey, they're hiring right now. So get your resume in. They want good people, good people only. Uh, School's coming out in a couple of months, too, as well. So come hang out. Uh, Get some swings in and help them out for sure. Uh, Thank you so much for checking out this pod. we got plenty more to come this month. It's NFL Draft Month, so make sure you come back and check out the next episode. Be well, be safe. Please be good to each other. It's only April. It might be the Masters, but you can still bear (laughs) down.